And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. Gerard Manley Hopkins from God's Grandeur. Welcome to the Deep Down Things podcast, a partnership of Logos Journal and Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. Join us for a deep dive into Catholic thought, culture, and everything in between as we explore the depths of God's grandeur. Welcome to Deep Down Things. I'm Dave Devil, Professor of Catholic Studies and Editor of Logos, a Journal of Catholic Thought and Culture at the University of St. Thomas. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Liz Kelly, award-winning author, speaker, retreat leader, uh, dancer, I think we say sometimes, <laughs> although she's given that up. Uh, Liz, Only how are you kitchen. doing? Only in your kitchen. Only in your kitchen. I'm very well, thank you. Good to be here. Fantastic. And we are here with uh, a, a moment of transition. Liz uh, stopped being the managing editor of Logos after 14 and a half years, oh, was yeah, it? About 14 years. Yeah, yeah. so at Christmas time, uh, she, left, she left the gift of, of an opening, and that opening was filled uh, by Katie Ware, who is our our guest today. Katie, welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Katie, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, yourself and about your background? You have a very interesting history about your own uh, Christian journey as well as your intellectual journey. Yeah, thanks. Um, I was raised Baptist, so I was, about, I was Baptist for about 20 years, and then in college I began to uh, really love liturgy, which mm. brought me to the Episcopal Church and into various conservative Anglican churches. Um, so I was Anglican for about 20 years, but probably the last 15 of that, I was kind of Catholic curious, slowly making steps uh, toward Rome. And eventually I was uh, received into the church six years ago now. I just celebrated that anniversary. And um, yeah, happy to, to be Catholic and uh, happy to now be a part of the Center for Catholic Studies at St. Thomas. Well, that's great. You can you say a little bit more about your your educational background? I know you oh, sure. you studied theater for a while, but right. then you did a little bit of theology and spirituality. Uh, give us a little bit more about about that background. Yeah, so you're right. My first degree is in theater, and um, then I did a kind of integration degree in uh, Christianity and the arts at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, then I worked for a couple of years, and then I went to England, initially to volunteer at a spirituality center at an Anglican Church, uh, church of England seminary, um, and ended up staying to do a second master's to, uh, to help with being able to stay there, getting the right kind of visa. <laughs> um, but at that time, just because of where I was in my own spiritual journey, I uh, did that through the Institute for Orthodox Christian Studies. Mm -hmm. uh, Part of my family is Greek Orthodox, and so as part of my discernment, um, I wanted to explore that, give it a give it a shot. In the end, I felt like such a, a beautiful tradition. I'm so thankful for the time I was there and the things I was able to study, particularly patristics and Byzantine chant and all kinds of wonderful things. But I eventually felt like I just couldn't make the leap, and that's really at that point that I turned my full attention back to the Catholic Church. Um, but I didn't really make that break until I left Minnesota to go to the University of St. Andrews for a PhD in uh, divinity, but it was through the Institute for Theology, Imagination, and the Arts. And I specialized there in the writings of Dorothy L. Sayers, who was a friend and contemporary of C.S. Lewis and Charles Williams and um, highly influenced by Chesterton. 
um, all of our favorite folks, right? Mm. Yeah, the, uh, we're not going to talk too much, but Katie will have a book coming out next year uh, dealing especially with a topic that readers of Logos will know a little bit about, which is Dorothy Sayers' uh, plays about our Lord that appeared on the BBC in, uh, in what, the 30s and 40s, I'd say, or that really more like the 40s and 50s. Well, uh, on the air from December 1941 to uh, October 1942. 42, so it's just from that period, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but Katie is somebody who uh, has, has her own YouTube channel. She has done her <laughs> own production, and we're, we're going to talk with her a little bit about uh, the nature of listening and creativity and uh, what, what, you know, what she has to offer us in terms of thinking about uh, how it is that we touch the heart and touch the mind. Uh, and touch the spirit, especially through the years. Before she uh, joined on our uh, staff, we had the privilege to publish Katie on uh, Dorothy Sayers and The Man Born to be King. Talk a little bit about how you got interested in Dorothy Sayers and that particular project. Yeah, well, a long-standing fan of The Man Born to be King. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in the Theology and the Arts program at Regent, I actually just picked it randomly off a book list for a book report. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I picked it because of my drama background, and I thought, oh, plays, that'll be interesting. And I loved them, and, you know, I really enjoyed rereading them. And then that um, was kind of the gateway drug into the rest of Sayers. I loved her, her um, mystery fiction, and, mm -hmm. um, and then getting further into her essays and, and that kind of thing. So I eventually became kind of a specialist in sort of her, her wartime era, which includes a lot of her um, lectures and articles around the same time that she was writing The Man Born to be King. Um, so, but it just stayed in my mind when I taught undergraduate theology at North Central University here in Minneapolis. I would use it in my class. I would save one day particularly to read aloud one of the plays. And then when I was considering going back to get a PhD, I was really wanting to do something that was both, you know, artistic and theological. So I actually looked at a lot of the things that I had been using as teaching tools and thought, oh, I should just see what's been done on The Man Born to be King. And not much. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we know, for a PhD, you need to find something that no one else has really studied. <laughs> so uh, mm -hmm. it seemed like a good opening. Mm -hmm. So that's when I applied through uh, the Institute for Theology, Imagination, and the Arts at St. Andrews, because it seemed like that would be a good place to, to be take that on. Sayer Sayers, for sure. Yeah. My husband and I are fans of, of um, Radio Mystery Theater. Um, which is now he discovered all available online. Oh, so he could, he, we're, we have a nostalgia for radio plays and every once in a while he'll type in something like the swamp thing or you know whatever the title of one was <laughs> and we'll listen to it. And, and it strikes me that you know listening is a very different activity to watching. And it also strikes me that listening is a really important facility uh, or faculty to develop with respect to prayer and the spiritual life. I mm -hmm. see that as, as a spiritual director a lot, that uh, people have forgotten how to listen. They don't really know how to listen. Listening and watching is, is two different things. Um, and in one of the studies that I have, I have done on Jesus' approaches, they, everybody was like, does it come with video? Does it come with video? Mm -hmm. I said, nope. 
it's just audio. It's just going to be listening. And they resisted at first, but then at the end, they're like, oh, now I understand why you do just the audio. It's like it turns something else on completely. Um, you know, and radio did something very important in that era, in, in Sayers' area. Can you talk a little bit about uh, radio drama work and what radio meant to the people in the 30s and 40s? And and maybe what we miss when we when we are given too much video, when we're watching yeah. versus listening. I don't know. Yeah, we're really oversaturated today, aren't we? Um, yeah, I mean, of course, it was the main medium for information. Everybody, well, many people had radios in their home, and that would be the source of entertainment in the evening. Um, so there was a wide variety of things, thinking just particularly about in Britain. Um, you know, there'd be news, and there would be different interview things. There, there were church services and Bible studies and all that kind of thing. The BBC had lots of religious content at the time. Um, and then there would be radio drama. Bef before The Man Born to be King, Sayers um, had adapted several of her uh, mystery stories for radio. So she had already done some work with the BBC. And then mm -hmm. in 1938, they asked her to do um, an Advent play um, or a nativity play. Um, and that's called He That Should Come. So that piece was so well received um, and kind of began her style of how she carried on with The Man Born to be King. Mm. Um, she really wanted people to, to know that Jesus was a real person. Mm -hmm. um, to really grab hold, she tried very hard in her um, radio drama writing to really hold together Christ's divinity and his humanity. And so, um, you know, she really wanted to emphasize that Jesus was born right in the middle of everything else that was going on. And so she has, we have a whole kind of half hour in the inn meeting all these different people who are coming from different places, have different reasons for being in Bethlehem. And then this couple wanders in um, needing a place to stay. And so that's how she sort of introduces it. Um, and it was so well received. It just captured people's imagination, mm. like, like you're saying. Um, and so that's when the BBC asked her to write a series of plays on the life of Christ. Um, so uh, just generally, I, I think, I mean, I was read to a lot as a child, mm -hmm. and I think that's such an important um, piece of just helping us develop our imagination. Mm -hmm. But that's something I really love about, you know, even now listening, listening to podcasts or listening to um, recorded stories or whatever, whatever it is as I'm, as I'm driving. Love to do that on long car trips. Um, and because uh, it, it just accesses our brain in a different way. Mm -hmm. It forces us to um, really develop the image of what's happening mm -hmm. for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, two people can be listening to the same mm -hmm. thing, but they have a different idea because mm -hmm. they pick up different details as it develops in their imagination. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love that. And then, um, yeah, I think for Sayers, the going through the man born to be king, again, really wanting people to understand that he was truly human while also being truly divine um, and showing those things. So she had lots of little particular things, just little details that helped people. Even though these were things that, you know, we don't have a lot of little details in the gospel. Sometimes we do have little mm -hmm. amazing details like mm -hmm. Mark with his Jesus sleeping on a cushion mm -hmm. in the in the storm mm -hmm. in the boat, um, but but often you know it it requires using imagination. But she helped people 
Um, really picture that Jesus was really there among real people just like us. Well, and even in our creed, we believe in all things visible and invisible, and you hmm. can't get to the invisible unless your imagination has been developed and ordered to some particular yeah, degree. And I think point. that's part of what uh, I think we miss a little bit by being inundated with so many images being given to us in CGI and, you know, um, even all that. I mean, my husband is a fan of the old Godzilla movies because it's a dude in a Godzilla suit going, ah, I am Godzilla, you know, acting like Godzilla. So it's still sort of left a lot to your imagination. It wasn't just all computer generated and sort of given to you in this neat, neat package. And uh, I think we miss something, you know, when when we're given too many images. That's part of what really appealed to me about uh, the man born to be king, and exactly what you say, she's she's facilitating your imagination, but mm -hmm. she's not like giving you everything. She's just helping to helping to exercise your imagination, and I really appreciate that. Part yeah. of that facilitation, though, I think involves uh, you know what her friend C.S. Lewis liked to talk about is the ta you know the task of the apologist is a kind of translation, yes, right. And this was something that you know both of them I think got from Chesterton as well, who you know who wanted you know the the mysteries capital M to be as interesting and as 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 accessible in some ways as uh, the the lowercase m mysteries. Um, you you mm -hmm. focused a little bit on that in your article for us about uh, Dorothy Sayers. But I mean, it's also something that, you know, you as a speaker and as somebody who's created created content have done, I mean, speak a little bit about that, you know, what what is the task of translation today for telling people about the faith? That, that I mean, clearly we don't want to give them everything, but how, how do we translate in a way that's, that's faithful in a sense and not a sort of betrayal of the right. original material? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a, a really good question. I think um, I mean, we've got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think of uh, The Chosen right now, that's very mm -hmm. hot. Um, people are enjoying that, but also people are questioning different choices, right? We have opinions about whatever this particular thing or that scene or... Um, and people, you know, they had opinions like that about Sayers' work as well. I'm sure. Um, mm -hmm. She got lots of letters from people. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. The one that I can think about the top of my head that certainly struck me the first time I read The Man Born to Be King is that, you know, someone wrote and said, why do you keep saying that Jesus has a golden beard? <laughs> um, and I, I had that same question. So it's nice to actually see her reply to this person saying, well, I know he probably had black hair, but you know, I have to differentiate him as a character somehow from right. the others. Uh, you know, Jesus has golden beards in, in art all the time. So, you know, she didn't think of it as a, as a big deal. But at right. least it's nice to know that she was making that choice with her eyes open. So some things can drive people crazy. Um, but other things, um, I, I can think of an example of she has um, a scene where the um, the disciples have been invited into the ministry of healing and you know that that verse again I think it's from Mark where he says you know they had you know they were so busy with people coming they didn't even have time to eat mm -hmm. um, she has a wonderful scene that's all based on this um, where you really see oh that's what it could have been like and she just you know delineates it a little bit with 
you know, of different people coming in and disciples saying, oh, this person's here and, oh, I know who that is. I'll, you know, I'll come, you know, I can, I can help or, you know, oh, sit down, John, you've been exhausted. Why don't, you know, take a rest and, oh, no, there's people that still need help. And you just really get a sense of what that busyness was actually like. And then Christ coming in and saying, oh, my, my dear <laughs> followers, you know, let me, let me take you away somewhere where we can, we can be quiet and pray, mm. which, of course, leads into the scene of the feeding of the 5,000 because mm -hmm. the crowd follows them. But mm -hmm. you really get a sense of that dynamic. Mm. So there's a, lot, you know, there's a lot of needing to show theology as well as, right. as, as, well as to translate mm -hmm. the concepts. Mm -hmm. And this is a very common question. I mean, I work a lot with Ign the Ignatian exercises. Oh, sure. When is it my imagination? When is the Holy Spirit talking to me? When is, is it just my, um, you know, the psychology in my head or whatever it is? And, and that's something that you have to grow in discernment about. But I think looking at the fruit is, yes. is really huge. It, does this imaginative exercise draw you closer to God? Do you feel like you have a deeper sense of not only knowing Him, but Him knowing you? knowing your reality and, right. and who you are as a person. Uh, so, I mean, I think there are checks and balances that we can apply to imaginative exercises, not to constrict it and say, all this is right and all of that is wrong, but right. rather just look at the fruit. Uh, do you feel better known? Do you feel uh, like you know the Lord better as a result of it? Yeah, it reminds me how we talk about, uh, you know, taking things out of scripture. Mm -hmm. Do we see this same theme or theological concept somewhere else? You know, is it touched on in various gospels and the epistles? I mean, we kind of mm -hmm. test our initial thoughts, you right. know, so right. um, we can do that with our imagination too. Sure. You know, oh, I have this picture. I'm really imagining God this way. Mm -hmm. Does that fit with what we read in different parts of scripture? Mm -hmm. It does. So, so that's something that I, mm -hmm. you know, can, can take on without without worry. Sure. Our, our founder, Don Briel, uh, would often speak about how we need to be able to recapture kind of confidence in our imagination mm. and in, in informing it well and, um, you know, sort of submitting it to the work of the Holy Spirit. But that imagination, we, we tend not to trust it or yeah. uh, to yeah. doubt it. And he's like, mm, that's, that's really an error. We've been given imagination. It just needs yeah. to be formed and ordered like every other attribute. And I, I always really appreciated that because rather than saying you have to believe this narrow thing, it's more like let's look at all the possibilities and parse through what's yeah. true and what's not and mm. what's helpful and what isn't. And, I think and one of the first issues of Logos was when back when, you know, before they had enough people submitting, you know, they, they did a couple of theme. We haven't really done many theme issues over the years, but mm -hmm. in the beginning they would do that. And I think one of the first issues was titled something like, you know, a role for the imagination right. or something, mm, something exactly. to that effect. Because, exactly. it, you know, they, they, the, the project, the Catholic Studies Project, was in part to recapture that as, as a real part of education um, and formation as well as using that, using that properly. And that requires different forms of art, but it also requires, it requires hearts that are open to, to that sort of thing as well, so. Have you ever read something about the Catholic faith or a topic by a great writer or theologian or philosopher, and you wish that you could personally ask them about something they'd said or how they got to their conclusions? We experience this at the Logos Journal Daily. 
And while we have the opportunity to learn more from that person, it's not a conversation that only a few people should be able to have. We think a lot of you would be interested in knowing and learning more. The Logos Journal and our St. Thomas Catholic Studies friends and supporters need your help to do this. It takes a good deal of effort to get the access and produce a podcast that is meaningful and helpful to you. We hope that you'll go to our podcast website, patreon.com backslash deep down things to become a monthly subscriber. For as little as $5 a month, you can be a podcast patron and in return get access to some really great bonus content, like online access to the journal articles we discuss, additional spiritual reflections, and bonus episodes offered by Father Byron Hagen and Father Bryce Evans, great friends of Logos and priests in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. That's patreon.com backslash deep down things. I've done a number of retreats lately just for Montessori schools or, or those who are working in catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So this comes up a lot, just how fluid and open the young imaginations are before we've trained them to doubt their imagination or, or, or to doubt the thing that they're being given in their little childlike prayer, you know, that that's real. Uh, recapturing that, I think, is really a part of, you know, Jesus saying, become like little children, you know, that's really a central attribute to that. Yeah. You, you've created some content, uh, you know, on your various channels uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's designed to do that. I know one of them, one of them is uh, looking at various uh, creation stories in the ancient Near East, yeah. where you where you compare some of these things, and and it's primarily it's primarily for the ear. Um, tell us a little bit about that project. Yeah, so the one you're uh, referring to is uh, I call it Marduk versus Yahweh, mm -hmm. and um, I originally uh, created it for my theology class mm -hmm. um, as I was teaching because I just wanted to help students listen again mm -hmm. to Genesis mm -hmm. 1 um, because sometimes it just rolls off our back about you know yes. the, you know these days there's all these days and different things happening and we get caught up in like well but how does this work in with science or whatever mm -hmm. I just wanted my students to focus on the theological things that are being mm -hmm. talked about I think um, it's really wonderful and interesting that you are the narrator because I think we tend to hear scripture in this male voice for oh, whatever yeah. reason. So hearing the creation story from this, uh, with this very uh, feminine voice uh, was very interesting to me. I just noted myself as resonating differently with it as a result of that. Yeah. So uh, just a little pitch to go and listen to it. It will be in the show notes, but anyway. Yeah, it was delightful, charming. Oh, thanks. So, you know, what I chose to do was to take the Babylonian creation myth of Marduk, their god. So he was, he was the god of the city of Babylon. Um, and as the Babylonian Empire grew in importance, um, sort of this, uh, their own creation story became something that was well known. But it certainly has elements that were are common to a lot of creation stories of the time, mm -hmm. um, but it's super violent, Yes, <laughs> which is something that my students loved. So, um, and so there's the telling of the story, but I wanted my students to get involved. So I gave them like little things that make noise. Um, the, you know, the, probably the favorite item was the like paper slicer, whoosh, 
Yeah. Whenever, whenever <laughs> one of the Babylonian right. gods was killed, yeah, right. um, yeah. maracas to be, you know, anger like yeah, a yeah. like a rattlesnake's tail, yeah, yeah. Um, and then different bells for things. So everyone was involved in some way. So there were main sound effect things, but also like they had to make, you know, little sounds of rain with their fingers mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. that kind of thing, wind. Yeah. Um, and so it got them involved, but it really set side by side these two creation stories. Um, to show, to highlight what is really happening in, in Genesis 1 theologically. Mm -hmm. um, what does it say about who God is, why he even bothered to create things, mm -hmm. what people are for, mm -hmm. what they're made out of, mm -hmm. um, and how God feels about it. Mm -hmm. You know, these are really central things that, that, you know, when we're familiar with the story, it can kind of just, you know, go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. But when it's up against a, a creation story that's saying like the gods were at war and <laughs> they were vying for power and you know and then some of them died and out of their guts people were made <laughs> yeah, right, and right. finally they had slaves you know yeah, to right. do their work and right. you think ooh, wow <laughs> and then you hear again that God loves the creation yeah, 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 that yeah. he made and and it was it was orderly and you know even the very beginning of Genesis 1 mentions the watery chaos you know, there's this chaos, but the Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaos, mm -hmm. keeping it in check. Mm -hmm. um, and but so there's this order to it, and God mm -hmm. just speaks, and mm -hmm. things appear. Mm -hmm. He's able to create like that, mm -hmm. and He loves the things that He made. There's a kind of order to it, and then when He finishes, He sits back and He enjoys it. Yeah, yeah. And he loves it, and so yeah. hearing the two side by side really enables us to hear that again. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And by this interaction, you know, with my students, it became something that I was like, well, I've got to do this again next time. <laughs> because it, it worked. It just captured their well, imagination. It also makes the story theirs. They are participating yeah. in the story. And mm -hmm. that's one of the main things that we want to do as catechists is say, you are the gospel story. <laughs> you mm. are in these pages. They're yeah. not dirty, dusty old things. This is part of your story. You're part yeah. of salvation history. Um, and I think it, it was very effective in terms of of that, I could just see lining up all my nieces and nephews to listen to this and how much they would enjoy it because they could participate in that way, see that they are part of it. Mm. Well, it also, you know, it puts this, I mean, that's the problem is that it, you know, we live, we live in an almost post-Christian culture, yeah. mm -hmm. but there's still enough of that. There's still enough of that. Well, I went to Catholic school for 12 years or I went, you know, yeah. my mom took me to the Baptist church when I was, you know, people assume that they know what's yeah. in there. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And so, you know, but then they also know their sort of cultural script about, well, you know, it's a violent, environmentally dangerous, you know, and it's <laughs> kind of like, well, it's compared to what? Right. And, uh, you know, to listen to, to the compared to what, you're like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe this is different than... <laughs> Uh, you know, a world that's born out of this, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, organized crime like slaughter of, <laughs> yeah, right, of people right. compared right. to, you know, creation of a man and a woman who are now given dominion and put in a garden and a, given a house and, you know, and, yeah. and they're, they're made to do these things. And at the same time, be in a world that's, 
that's uh, that's also a little bit dangerous. Yeah. I, mean, I think of, you know we're we are we are recording this getting close There's to freedom. Easter. Yeah. yeah. And in the Easter vigil, you know, you start off with the creation story. And I yeah. never forget uh, a number of years ago, one of our colleagues, her son, he's now a college student, but you know at the time he was three, and you know get in the creation story about the creation of the great sea monsters. And of course he yells out, "Nobody told me there were sea monsters in this." Really? <laughs> <You know? laughs> you know? So in the middle of you know the Easter vigil. But, <laughs> but but to hear that you yeah. know it forces mm -hmm. people to act, you know and to hear it next yeah there is dangerous stuff but how does that play a role in in this yeah uh, so yeah I also love the opportunity in in moving it from a class activity mm -hmm. to um, the soundtrack for a video on mm -hmm. on YouTube um, the the chance to add music and you know control the sound effects a little bit more and create more of an eerie sound. My nephew, who's 15, said, the first part was kind of spooky. <laughs> You're like, success. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I also, yeah. you know, I, I got a, a clarinetist yeah. involved. She and did a what, great job. Which, yeah, mm -hmm. what she does is so powerful. She just, she kind of gave me a bunch of things to work with, and then I cut and pasted them at the right moments. Mm -hmm. um, to create a lot of that spookiness mm -hmm. in the beginning, but also some of the orderliness mm -hmm. in, in the, the And just narrative. sort of that rising, it's getting more and more beautiful as the creation's going on. It's getting sort of more and more ordered. Um, yeah, there, I can see how that would be a very effective teaching tool. Yeah. Yeah, you're a, you're a songwriter too. Right? I am, So yeah. I mean, how, how does this play out and you've you've done some you've done some songs. I know uh, one of your CDs was called All the Marys. All the Marys, uh -huh. mm -hmm. right? I mean, how how's this played out in your own creative work? Uh, on a, you know on a, on a less educational and pedagogical right. level. Right. Yeah. I, um, I I started you know setting some of the songs from um, that that album in particular. I'm sort of in in the middle of of working on some of those, but creating some visual elements. Um, so it's, it's not quite like a music video, but I wanted mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. um, to do um, to kind of bring those stories to life. Mm -hmm. uh, that album in particular, and All the Marys, um, it, it takes uh, a different, each track is a different woman from the Gospels. Mm -hmm. and the story of her encounter with Christ. So, of course, it starts with Our Lady. Mm -hmm. um, but I borrowed a little bit from um, visual art. There's often artistic depictions of Our Lady um, uh, spinning thread, and that's a reference to the Proto-Evangelion of James, where um, when um, Our Lady was visited by the angel Gabriel, that she was spinning uh, purple and scarlet uh, thread for a new veil of the temple. Um, so I borrowed that as a kind of a theme. And so I had all these, you know, pictures of, of, of raw wool and wool being spun and woven and all these mm -hmm. kinds of things. Um, so making some of those connections for people. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I, I love the creative process and it's nice to just give, give those songs a, a kind of second life. Mm -hmm. I'm working on one um, for Easter uh, that is the Mary Magdalene song. And um, so excited to, that one I had a lot of fun with paper. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Logos attracts the interdisciplinary creative. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, well, yes, that's the thing. I mean, you're, you're also a singer and an artist, and uh, 
When I was working at a, in college, they asked me to stop singing because I was dragging people <laughs> off the tune. So, <laughs> so I, I feel like I could sing with both of you because I could probably follow along with you strong enough power. But, uh, but this is uh, but this is uh, this is an important thing for us because we often deal with visual art mm -hmm. in logos, and we often deal with the written word, but we deal with it as written, and it's a, and it's good to yeah. think again about about experiencing uh, these words as something that you listen to mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Uh, I mean, let me ask you this, uh, you know, since we've been talking about this gift, I mean, Neil Postman, who was a culture critic, you know, he, about 30 years ago, um, you know, he, he was writing about, you know, so the danger in, of a, a, an overly visual society. And he, he was, you know, he was Jewish. I'm not sure whether he was, how much he was, he was practicing any, uh, any religious faith, but he was certainly had a sort of Jewish mentality that said, uh, you know, the written word and, and the, you know, the spoken word, those are things that, uh, you know, they, they have a, a logical capacity and a sort of a narrative arc to them uh, mm -hmm. that uh, are not as manipulative, or at least maybe you can de detect the manipulation, whereas in a world of images, mm -hmm. you know, we see things flowing right, right in front of our eyes, mm -hmm. and it's harder, to, it's harder to keep our mind engaged. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you think that's a, a, a valid danger zone for our culture? Yeah, I do. I mean, there's, there's a lot of capacity for <laughs> manipulation, as you say, um, with just the speed of images or just the mm -hmm. amount of content that mm -hmm. we consume um, online. That reminds me a little bit of, uh, as an antidote, maybe uh, one of the other um, projects I did that is more kind of sound effects um, related. But the, the story I did about uh, my time of discernment with Notre Dame de Vie, uh, which is a Carmelite secular institute in France, and I wanted to tell a story about silence. Um, and so I, you know, I wrote it out, but I created a version of it using sound effects because what I was describing about the hours spent, it's called contemplation with lettuce because I spent a lot of time preparing vegetables while I was in France. <laughs> um, but just of, of those sounds, I wanted to include those sounds of tearing lettuce, of, of cutting, of washing, mm -hmm. of spinning in the big spinner, because mm -hmm. it was so much... That's what I was hearing. I wasn't hearing words all day. I was hearing silence, but these different sounds which filled that space, which also helped enable me to uh, direct my attention to God mm -hmm. um, throughout the day. So um, that's another one. But I, I in, in, included music with that and other mm -hmm. things too, but, but the sound effects were really fun because mm -hmm. I, I made them all manually, like mm -hmm. <laughs> I had a salad spinner <laughs> creating yeah, that, yeah. you know, but as a way to capture people's imagination. Mm -hmm. And then I paired that with just still photos of, mm -hmm. of um, Notre Dame de Vie in France. So, um, yeah, people have really appreciated that and mm -hmm. the, you know, the Marduk one, it, in a similar way of that, it creates... Uh, this space for the imagination mm -hmm. to kick in a little. I don't know if yeah. this statistic is still true, but when I was teaching at films in film school uh, in the '90s, uh, you could burn more calories sitting on a park bench doing nothing than you could watching television because of the way the pixelization in the screen sedated the brain. Oh, and apparently with <laughs> pixels as they are now, that's even like 
Yeah. Uh, 10 times, 100 times worse. I don't know what the numbers are that. anymore. But yeah, but I remembered that and I remember saying that to my, you know, future film producing students and they were kind of looking at me like, hmm, you know, so the responsibility of what you have, of what you're putting, the images of what you're putting in there, you just got to be very careful about that and very aware of that. And um, I've heard that the that it's actually even more sed sedative than it was in the 90s, but that makes sense to me. And that also makes sense to me why your imagination is just kicked in when you're listening instead of watching. Did they have calorie counts for, you know, <laughs> for a podcast or anything? For podcasts or anything. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that you burn a lot of really good calories yeah, right. listening is, to the Deep Down Things podcast. That is a lesser known statistic. That's right. But <laughs> yes. well, it's actually notes, good we'll for your heart health. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> Well, of course, a podcast you can listen to while walking or right. on the treadmill or doing your housework, whatever you want. Well, what? so we've been talking a little bit about what you're working. You say a little bit about the book that's, again, that's in progress sure. on Dorothy Sayers. It won't be available till, till next year, but it's, uh, it's something that people can look forward to. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was working on my Ph.D., you know, I... I analyzed those plays within an inch of their lives. <laughs> I had charts of how she used scripture and all these different things. And so I have had the very gratifying work of creating a scholarly edition of The Man Born to be King. So, and it's kind of complicated. I mean, the whole plays just by themselves are about 400 pages. So this thing is going to be mammoth because it'll be all the plays, but then footnotes that have all of the scripture references and references to you know, external um, ancient sources, and then side notes that have the six things that she, six books that she used as kind of her primary sources, so some of the commentaries and that kind of thing, um, as well as excerpts from her letters, where, you know, like the, the golden hair, golden beard uh, example I gave earlier, uh, yeah, I have that little excerpt explaining that so that as people are reading along, they can be like, oh, Dorothy, what are you doing? And then be like, oh, I guess she made a specific choice. Um, same thing for, for instance, uh, her combination of Mary Magdalene, the sinful woman from Luke 7, and Mary of Bethany. She chooses to make what we call a composite Mary. Mm -hmm. And that's very confusing for people mm -hmm. when they first um, mm -hmm. That's a very come to common, it. common thing. Even yes. uh, you know, throughout the ages, a lot of hagiography is <laughs> composites right. of right. multiple people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but being able to, you know, see that information right there next to the scene where uh, she develops it is I think really helpful. It's the kind of book that I wished had been written before I started, mm -hmm. and I'm glad to uh, provide that kind of information for people so that they don't have to create big charts of <laughs> information. Yeah. They can, uh, you know, pick up a copy and, and have that information right at hand. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, fantastic. Is there any, anything else you'd like us to know as the new managing editor of Logos? <clears throat> No, she's I, got some big shoes to fill. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> Let me tell you, <laughs> I'm sure Katie's going to be a better managing editor than I ever was. Well, so. it's, uh, I've been I've been blessed by Liz's presence, and I, I'm very blessed by Katie's already. So thank you. Kate, I, I'll just say I have been very much enjoying uh, reading some of the articles as they've come in. I feel like it's just going to 
fill in all kinds of holes in my education. Every article is like a mini class. Mm -hmm. I always felt like that. Every article that we accepted was a yeah, mini class. That's, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Well, some and of them we didn't accept as also some of them were also education, but not not always in the same way. But but. Uh, the, the, the listeners to this should know that you should be subscribing to Logos as well. So, yes. Katie, thank you so much for being with us. You're it's, so welcome. It's been a delight, Liz. Thank you, as always, uh, for being be here. here. Happy to be here. And we thank you, the listeners, for uh, joining us on another great episode of Deep Down Things, this partnership between Logos and the Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. And we hope that you'll visit our website, patreon.com backslash deepdownthings. Become a patron, get access to the, to the extras that we have, uh, and subscribe to Logos, please. And join with us and continue this conversation. Thank you again, and God bless you.